Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody who understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli sitting in for Dr. Kevin Falta. And as I always say, Kevin, I thank you again for uh, the opportunity to do this. And today we're going to be talking about ways to engineer resistance to plant viruses and some of the challenges that that poses. And and I promise an interesting topic. I'm most uh, excited to have our guest, who is uh, Devang Mehta, Dr. Devang Mehta. Uh, from uh, the Institute of Plant Molecular Biology in the Department of Biology at uh, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. So welcome to Vang and thanks for being part of our program. No, thank you for having me. So you've, you've taken in two papers, which, which by the way are posted on, um, you've posted them on uh, a preprint server. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, is, what is actually the name? How do you pronounce the name of that preprint server? Uh, it's BioArchive. BioArchive. Okay, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and we're going to put links to those two um, papers on on the uh, Talking Biotech website so people can get to them easily if they're interested. Um, I, I am curious, before we talk about your, your work, uh, I've never used a preprint server. It, how, what, is, what is basically, what is that about? It's obviously something you can do once your paper is submitted, but uh, yeah, tell us about that. What is, what is a preprint server? Sure. So, so preprint server is basically uh, some place online where you can post a scientific manuscript um, before it goes uh, through formal peer review in a journal. And uh, the idea basically for bioarchive, uh, it's inspired by physicists because in, in physics, it's very common for, for researchers to, to submit their manuscripts as soon as they're written uh, to their own server, which is called archive. Um, and then, uh, people can comment on your document over there and, you know, you get some sort of uh, informal feedback before or during um, a formal peer review in, a, mm-hmm. in an academic journal. So how, I guess the question is, it must be a way of protection of, you know, of, of your work. Um, 
what what uh, I mean, you're, you're putting it out for the public to view and, and it's in the process of, you know, of being reviewed by peer review magazine. Is that sufficient protection or, or what is, you know, I mean, I, I, I just I think, have heard of these think, I've downloaded papers, but I've never really understood how they work. So, so more than protection, I think the idea is to, to, to give um, as much access as possible to, uh, yeah. to the, to the paper because bioarchive is completely open. So mm-hmm. even if your paper later on gets accepted and published in a, in a closed access journal, you still have the preprint online. Huh. Yeah. So it's really the, from the public service standpoint of access. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's, that's a good example. Um, so we're going to talk about cassava in Africa. What got you, and we're going to talk about virus engineering, virus resistance. What got yeah. you interested in uh, this whole area of synthetic biology? I know you describe yourself as a synthetic biologist, yeah. uh, molecular biology. What, how did, what's give our listeners a bit of background into you, you, the scientist in person. Sure. So, so I'm Indian. So I grew up in, in India and I did my undergraduate degree in, in biotechnology in India. Um, and then, um, during my undergraduate degree, I got involved in a, in a competition called, uh, called IGEM, which, is, uh, which stands for the International Genetically Engineered Machine Competition. Um, and this is host, at the time it was organized by some researchers at, uh, at MIT in, in the US. And it's basically a, an, a competition of uh, undergraduate researchers who try to, to engineer bacteria to do interesting things. Mm. Um, and that's where I got first exposed to genetic engineering and, and biotechnology and, and synthetic biology. Um, and then I did my master's um, in synthetic biology, so a more formal uh, training in the subject um, at Imperial College London in the UK. Um, and this was again working on bacteria. And then um, for my PhD, I interviewed uh, at a lot of places and and almost by chance, I, I landed on this uh, this project uh, on cassava and, and engineering resistance to, to plant viruses. Mm-hmm. And you're heading off to a soon, I understand, uh, to a postdoctoral position at the University of Alberta. Is that right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah great. Um, so cassava, many of our listeners certainly know it's a staple crop, but um, some may not. It's a staple crop that's eaten in, uh, I think it originates from somewhere in Brazil, but is now mm-hmm. consumed in Africa, Brazil, and South America, and other parts of the world. Um, tell us about cassava and and viruses in cassava okay so so you're right cassava is is uh, originates in, in in south america and uh the right now actually the, the major production happens in in east asia um mm. and then um cassava in is also mainly grown um as a staple food in sub-saharan africa so it's it's really where uh, the source of of calories for for people living there um and unfortunately um, only in Africa and uh, India, the, the the plant is uh, is is severely affected by by uh, virus diseases, mm-hmm. and uh, the virus disease that I work on is is called uh, the Cassava mosaic disease, and it's caused by a, a DNA virus. Um, and basically, this disease causes uh, uh, quite widespread damage. So, on average, about twenty four percent annual losses in in Africa are caused due to this. Uh, how, how much did you say? Twenty-four percent annually, on average. Wow, was uh, in Africa. In Africa. Yeah, wow. I that's that's certainly something I notice as a plant pathologist. So it it's a so the one you work with. It, in fact, your paper I think mentions there is a population of virus species. Um, mm-hmm. It could 
so these are at least Af cassava mosaic virus, African cassava mosaic virus is a Bogoma virus, single-stranded DNA. Mm -hmm. For those who know what that means, and for those who don't, we'll we'll get into that. But um, spread by white flies. Um, it, and cassava is vegetatively propagated, right? So it's really going to be at risk for virus infection. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, so uh, I mean, that's a tough problem to control, you know. Yeah, right? it's a, it's also interesting because I mean, the plant is originally from from Southern America, but the virus itself has been uh, is not present in South America. So it, it was something that the the plant encountered encountered for the first time when it when it was transferred by traders from South America into Africa. So it has some origin, likely origin in Africa. We just don't know where it is. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. As a plant pathologist, I, I, I know that Gemini viruses are, which is the family for um, uh, the Bogoma viruses is, are, are really tough to really challenging, especially in the tropics and tough to control, even through sometimes conventional breeding, um, and in fact, you pointed out to me we had uh, in uh, one of one of the people in your program do a talking biotech podcast uh, several years ago. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about what um, you know? What uh, tell us more about the virus interactions with with uh, you know with with cassava? Okay, so so you so you as you mentioned, it's 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 a Gemini virus, and this basically means that it's. Uh, the, the virus is, is present as, as uh, single-stranded uh, DNA molecules, which are like circular DNA molecules. Mm -hmm. um, and these, uh, these are introduced into the plant by, by whiteflies. So whiteflies feed on the plant leaves and they, they inject the virus directly into, into the phloem stream of the plant. Um, so, and then the, the plant tries to defend itself against the virus through a lot of different uh, mechanisms. Um, and one of this is for is RNA interference, um, which is which is the the plant's natural way of responding to to the virus. Okay. Um, so so RNAi abbreviates RNA interference is sometimes called RNAi, and you're and it's a natural process of the plant to suppress viral infection mm -hmm. as well as regulate genes. Right? Is that can we just say that as well? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've got a plant struggling to uh, fight back against a Bogoma virus, a uh, Gemini virus infection, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it loses. And, you know, it, or at least it yeah. you know, loses the battle so that, you know, so that the plant is suffering and, and so are the people that depend on that plant. So, yeah. so you got into um, defense, studying and engineering defense mechanisms and studying how they work. Mm -hmm. So how about if we start with uh, the RNAi uh, work that you've you've done. So the way RNAi works is 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 when the the, the virus enters the plant, uh, the virus needs to start replicating, and to do that, what it does is uh, it basically sits in the plant cell's uh, nucleus and it starts uh, uh, transcribing RNA. So that means that the DNA uh, from the vi the virus's DNA starts coding for for mRNA that that then results in the production of uh, viral proteins which the virus needs to, to be able to replicate and produce more copies of itself. Um, and then what the plant tries to do is to, to stop this process and to shut it down. And to do this, it uses, it, it uses the virus's RNA as, as kind of a template to produce um, shorter RNA molecules, which then 
bind to the virus's uh, RNA and, and, and degrade the virus's RNA. So it, it stops the virus from producing new proteins and then uh, essentially stops it from, from replicating. And this is how the plant or all plants uh, respond to all viruses uh, generally. Oh, all viruses. Okay, right. So it's to shut down the messenger RNA uh, signal that's coming from yeah. the plants. Um, there's, also, there's also some evidence that this process also um, um, results in, in, in epigenetic marks on the virus's DNA itself. Okay. So it also has an effect on, on, on stopping the virus's DNA from, uh, from producing new RNA. From produ- transcribing new RNA. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, this is a natural process, right? And, and the process, it, it, tell me if I've got any of the details incorrect here. Um, the, this process is used by plants both to defend itself against viral infection by shutting down the messenger RNA of the, of the virus mm-hmm. or, and also to regulate its own genes, um, yes. right? I mean, we can, yeah. we, basically the plant is using the same molecular machinery to regulate itself in its own healthy ways or uh, hopefully healthy ways for the plant, but also to defend itself against virus. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So, and so once again, for the listener's sake, that this would be called RNAi, RNA, inter, RNA interference, or sometimes referred to as gene silencing, but I think that's a bit of an umbrella term, which encompasses a little bit more than RNAi. If, if viruses or plants have RNAi, functioning RNAi as a defense mechanism, why, why do viruses even occur in plants? Why are we even concerned about them? Yeah, so so RNAi is present, um, you know, in 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 almost all all plants, and uh, it's really active against viruses. But you have to imagine that, you know, there's there's kind of like an arms race between between viruses and plants. Okay. So as soon as the plant tries to to fight a virus, the virus kind of fights back. So a lot of plant viruses have evolved uh, a lot of mechanisms by which they can stop the process of RNAi or inhibit the process of RNAi. So numerous mechanisms uh, exist in. A lot of uh, different mechanisms. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Well, that that's uh, yeah. So so we've sort of come to the point where we understand that that uh, the virus wants to succeed, the plant wants to win the battle, and there's this tug of war going on or battle between two organisms. And so, you, you you how do we then how do we help the plant? Okay. I mean, I'm asking now. I guess. Um, what what your work is about? Let's go into um, sure. Yeah, go ahead. So, so so one way. Um, so and this is a this is a very well established technology now um, is to to try and um, help plants defend themselves against viruses using RNAi. Um, one approach is to try and 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 ramp up this process. So um, early on, what a lot of scientists did was to try and take uh, pieces of viral DNA and make the plant uh, transcribe this viral DNA. And this, this kind of immunized the plant against uh, new viruses coming in. Because so the, 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 so the wild DNA is from the virus, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so a bit of viral DNA uh, is pre- then introduced into the plant. Mm-hmm. And this produces uh, uh, RNAs that then can be used to, to, to trigger RNA silencing against uh, the normal, the wild type virus that enters the, the plant. And this has been very successful. So the the best example is uh, is the rainbow papaya in yeah. in Hawaii, um, which was really successful and is still successful uh, almost twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's a good example indeed. Um, um, and then so this this process worked really well for RNA viruses, um, and one reason is that um, 
when it works against RNA viruses, it's directly targeting the genome of the RNA virus because mm. RNA viruses have a RNA genome. Um, with uh, DNA viruses like Germany viruses, it was uh, uh, it was implemented a little later. So the first report was in about uh, 2007, 2009 in terms of field trials. Um, and then in in my lab in 2009, we developed plants which were uh, which used this this approach. So uh, we actually introduced um, a piece of uh, of uh, of viral DNA which was um, kind of restructured so that it would produce double stranded RNA. Um, and then we produce this viral double stranded RNA within the plant, and the plant is able to use this this viral double stranded RNA to uh, to produce short RNA molecules that can give you immunity to to further infections by viruses. Mm-hmm. So, so this was done in, in, in Greenhouse experiments in 2009. So direct, basically you've created a double-stranded, or your, your program, the program you're in has created a double-stranded RNA that then sort of guides the molecular machinery of the cell, the plant cell, to, to create these small RNAs which silence the viral, uh, the viral replication and, and exist, the viral gene, genome, basically. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah, I'm saying good because I'm glad to make sure, <laughs> you know, I've explained it well. All right. Um, so I think we're, yeah, I think we've we've sort of framed it well. Um, tell us about your, your your the results from your, your paper uh, in. Sure. Yeah. So, you, so, so this was done originally in Kasawa in 2009 by, uh, by my supervisor. And then when I came into the project, um, um, our lab was already implementing some some field trials of of these plants that were developed back in 2009. So so this field trial took place in Kenya, um, so right at the border of Kenya and Uganda, actually. Um, and uh, and as you mentioned earlier, um, the disease, the cassava mosaic disease, is not caused by just one species of virus, but by uh, several species of uh, viruses. And th- this means that. These are viruses that look a lot like each other and they behave very similarly, but they're distinct enough to be considered uh, uh, different species. Um, and East Africa is, East Africa is actually uh, a center of diversity for these species. Uh, and that's why we, we had the field trial uh, happening in uh, Kenya and Uganda, so at the border of Kenya and Uganda. Um, so we did a field trial over there, uh, which was for about uh, 50 weeks. Um, and when I came into the project, uh, we were harvesting these uh, the, the results of these trials and, and harvesting some samples. And then I decided to to try and see uh, what was happening to the viruses. How were they responding to the to the RNAi uh, engineered plants? Um, and in order to do this, um, I had to try and um, create a new method for sequencing uh, wild DNA. Yeah, I, I want to highlight that that this is a new sequence or n- new sequencing method. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Because uh, because currently, uh, or at the time, the latest uh, sequencing technology can only sequence uh, smaller segments of DNA. So, so for example, even the human genome, which was sequenced in 2000, was sequenced from, from small pieces of DNA, which were then computationally assembled together. Uh, and this becomes problematic when you're dealing with uh, populational viruses, because they're sometimes so similar that you could... Uh, you, you know, you, you have a lot of different sequences which are very short in length, but when you try to put them together, you might just mix them up. So you might have 
you might create a completely new uh, incorrect sequence because they just look so so similar. Mm-hmm. So okay. so I had to create the sequencing method which could um, basically sequence individual virus molecules um, in a single uh, sequencing read. So we could basically um, read the full sequence of a of a wild genome uh, without breaking it up into smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. Okay, of a wild um, genome of the virus. Exactly. Right. Um, so I did this um, with both our, our test plants, which were the plants that express the RNAi against the virus, as well as wild-type plants, which were non-transgenic and in, in which the virus could, could replicate unimpeded. Um, and essentially, my results showed that uh, RNAi worked really well against a certain population of viruses, but it left the second population of viruses untouched. So, so um, what this means is that in our wild-type plants, we, we had two distinct uh, populations of viruses, um, and these were two distinct uh, species of viruses. Um, and then one of these species was completely um, abolished in our RNAi transgenic plants, but the second species was, was kind of left untouched. Mm-hmm. And this kind of showed us that uh, what the limitation of this technology is and how we could uh, re-engineer this to, to try and take this into account. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really... Uh a very nice sort of knot and, you know, and you've tied it in a knot up to this point, uh, you know, as far as, as uh, understanding why the technology might fail and fail in the sense of, of viral disease still developing, even though you've, you've done a good job of suppressing of the, the original target virus. And so mm-hmm. to, to clarify, to make sure everybody, you know, has, has uh, understood that the key thing, here it sounds to me like is that um, this was a viral mixture that occurs in cassava and uh, and and the, and the other spe- the target species that is targeted by the uh, gene silencing the RNAi approach you've taken that virus was suppressed quite well as you would expect mm-hmm. uh, in field plants but it, but the other virus that that with with a substantially different sequence um, was not suppressed and sort of blossomed in the in the in the plants because it was no longer being uh, competed by uh, this this target viral species so so the key was the presence of the viral mixture is that is that a accurate summary i think so i think so so what we found was it wasn't just the target virus itself uh but but any virus that was about 90 percent similar to the target virus that was effectively suppressed okay Um, but then there was the second population, which was uh, about 70% similar, so only 70% similar to the target, and this was kind of left uh, unchecked. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, so yeah, that's so really selection is taking place as a result of your siRNA um, approach or, or RNAi approach. You're basically controlling the population of viruses that have a 90% or more match to the, the, the target se- sequence that you've engineered but leaving untouched the ones that have a, what I think you said, a 70% mac, mac, match or, or less, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So are, are there different, I was I guess I wasn't clear on this. Are there, are these two, two different populations, just two different species or are there, or there's there a complex of species that occurs in both cases? So, so, so in the, in the wild type plants, we had uh, two, um, so it's kind of difficult to say which species it, but just based on on similarity, we found that uh, one species was was uh, or one group of viruses was very closely related to to the African cassava mosaic virus species, 
And the second group of viruses was more closely related to the East African Kassar mosaic virus species. Okay. Um, and, and in the transgenic plants, it was the, the African Kassar mosaic virus species were, were, were absent or they were effectively uh, silenced. Um, whereas the East African Kassar mosaic virus uh, were able to survive. Okay. Okay. So it, it really just highlights the, I think, I think you even said it very well, the need to um, account for the full viral diversity that will be present when you engineer uh, an, as an RNAi approach. Yeah, I think that's 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 our, our our main point, which is that it, it becomes really essential then to to keep monitoring mm-hmm. the extent to to which these viruses are are diverse and 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 try and take this into account when we try to engineer strategies. Yeah, to yeah. yeah, not so much to to abandon the the strategy, but to stay on top of whatever changes are happening in the viral populations, to so that you can adjust uh, the RNAi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I think in fact uh, the results do show that that the technology itself was really successful against uh, the target virus. It was just the, yeah. the virus that wasn't targeted that was yeah. <laughs> the problem. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's true. Your graphs show that beautifully, and yeah. and we've got all the experiences of you know uh, most especially the papaya, but also um, summer squash in the United States. There are some mm-hmm. viral resistant. Um, uh, varieties and uh, yeah against a single species the tech or against the target species the tech uh, RNAi seems to work very well it's just your 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 paper just highlights okay but there's that possibility that could be others that are not present in the field that are not targeted by your technology and and we just have to make sure they are what what one more question before we take a break what, what about um, are there any conserved sequences in this, you know, in the, among the viruses that you worked with, so conserved right. that, that they would occur across the, these different species or, or do you have to have two different so, RNAi approaches? So in fact, the, the RNAi um, sequence that we used in our plants was actually among the most conserved areas of the virus. Okay. Um, so we already tried to take this yeah. into account, yeah. but uh Clearly, that wasn't enough. Okay, good. Yeah, clearly, we've got to continue to monitor is what your what your paper shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, really interesting. Uh, we're going to move on to the, the second approach uh, for engineering viral resistance, CRISPR-Cas9 uh, mm-hmm. based uh, virus resistance. But uh, let's let's take a break before we do, Devang. And um, sure. so with that, we'll, uh, we'll take a short break. We're talking to Devang Mehta, uh, a doctoral, uh, well, complete, you've completed your doctor, Devang Mehta. Uh, and uh, we're going to come back and, and talk about um, engineering and continuing to engineer viral resistance in plants and some of the challenges that we face. So thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulta, the Talking Biotech Podcast. Back on June 13, 2015, I started an experiment of trying to use a new type of media in order to disseminate scientific communication. That's this, the Talking Biotech Podcast. And whereas most podcasts fail by their 12th episode, here we are at episode 130-something and still going strong. And I really owe it all to the people who listen and the kind words and thoughts that people give us. 
it hasn't always been smooth sailing. There's been lots of rocky times and times when I've wanted to just say, forget it, just hang it up. But it's been the support of people who listen, along with friends like Paul Vincelli and all of our other uh, co-hosts, let alone the outstanding speakers and, and interviewees who are here every week to talk to us. You know, it really means a lot to have uh, friends who are willing to talk to you about their beautiful science. So as I always say at the end, tell a friend, write a review on iTunes, and as we move into year four, <laughs> I think it's actually getting stronger, and I think it's getting better. And maybe I don't sound as bad as I did in the beginning. Maybe. <laughs> but thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, looking forward very much to the next episodes. And we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast with Dr. Devang Mehta, uh, Dr. Meta is a uh, recent PhD graduate from the group of biotechnology at the Institute of Molecular Plant Biology in the Department of Biology at the Swiss Federal Institute for Technology and uh, is bound for a postdoc in uh, the University of Alberta soon as well. And so welcome back to Vang. It's good to have you here. Thanks. All right. So the second uh, approach or strategy for engineering resistance, we just did an RNA dis- RNAi discussion, is um, based on CRISPR-Cas9. And uh, this is, I must say, the first time I read about it, I thought it was a very fascinating, creative approach. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's, there, there are limitations as well, as we'll, we'll discover. And um, Devang, let's start by explaining to people how this approach for engineering virus resistance works. Okay, so so CRISPR-Cas9 is 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 actually originally or in nature CRISPR-Cas9 is is a way in which uh, bacteria defend themselves against uh, viruses. So so what happens is that in bacteria you have uh, viruses that come into the cell, and um, what the bacteria tries to do is it uses pieces of the virus's DNA um, to to defend itself against uh, against the virus. So uh, it takes in pieces of the virus puts it into its own genome, the bacteria, uh, and then transcribes it in a, in a particular way, which is, um, and then produces these, these short RNA molecules that are again bound to, to a protein called Cas9. And all this is happening in the same bacterial cell. And then the Cas9 gets guided onto the virus's uh, uh, DNA and then basically cuts the virus's uh, DNA and then gives immunity to the, to the bacterial cell. Um, and then what we reasoned was that, uh, since the virus that we are working with is also a DNA virus, it could be interesting to try and use the system, um, you know, in a plant where it has never been, uh, uh, it hasn't evolved in plants. It's, it's a completely new system for a plant. Uh, and so it's also completely new uh, for a plant virus. So plant virus uh, would possibly not have evolved uh, resistance to mm. this uh, mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so what did, what is it, what, what do you have to do to actually take advantage of, the CRISPR-Cas9 um, approach to engineering resistance. What does it? What does that actually look like? So, to do that, um, in plants, you just need to introduce two genes. So you have uh, one gene which codes for the Cas9 protein, and then you have a second gene which codes for something called the single guide uh, RNA or the synthetic guide RNA. Um, and the guide RNA is basically a very small piece of DNA of RNA um, that is complementary to a segment. Of uh, of the virus's DNA, so so it can bind to to a segment of uh, of the virus's DNA. 
um, and then you code for these two. So you have genes which code for these two components in your plant, and then um, the plant transcribes uh, both of these genes, produces a Cas9 protein and a guide RNA. These two things uh, form a complex together, which is called the Cas9 guide RNA complex. And then this gets guided onto the virus's genome and, and creates a, a cut on the virus. Cuts, cuts that virus in somewhere and, and disables it, basically. Uh, that's the That's the theory, the right? That's the hope, right? So, so just to remind listeners, uh, the ca- Devang mentioned two genes that are transferred into a plant to do this engineering. One is the Cas9 gene, as he mentioned, and, and that uh, comes from bacteria. And uh, the single guide RNA uh, is designed to match the virus. So we've got one bacterial gene and one viral sequence that we've inserted into the plant to, with the outcome to cut the virus and hopefully disable it. Is that where we're at? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair summary. Okay, so what, you know, what did you... Uh, I think I think we framed it pretty well. What did what did you what did you find? Uh, you know, when you when you actually implemented this approach. Right. So so we we transformed uh, cassava plants to express these genes, and then the first thing I did was to to infect these plants with the virus in our in our greenhouse. Um, so we also had plants without the the RNA component. So these were kind of our, our controls, where they only express the Cas9 protein, but the Cas9 cannot. Um, go and find the virus's uh, DNA because it lacks the, the virus RNA um, or the virus-derived RNA. Um, and then we infected these plants and we found um, that overall there wasn't any significant difference in terms of uh, uh, virus symptoms between the control plants and the transgenic plants, So, which mean, which is to say that both sets of plants were, were, were infected to similar degrees with, uh, with the virus. Um, we, then, which is not what you'd expect at all, but you... No, yeah. well, that wasn't what we hoped to see. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, sorry, I cut you off. No, you can... Okay, so so when we saw this this result that we, we couldn't see a significant difference between uh, the test plants and the control plants, we wanted to find out why. Yes. Um, and so we, we had actually sampled the plants at an earlier time point, which was three weeks, and we sampled them again at the last time point of the experiment, which was eight weeks after infection. Um, and then what I decided to do was to try and sequence again all the viruses that were present uh, in the control plants and the test plants and to try and compare them to see, um, you know, what was the effect of the Cas9 on the viruses genome? Did the Cas9 actually even cut the viruses genome? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, maybe, maybe it just failed to cut the virus, is the yeah, viral DNA. Yeah. Possibly, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, and then, should, should I go on? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I think you're walking us through quite well. So. Okay. So, so then when, we, when, we li- so when I looked at the sequencing results, um, what I could see that was, um, was that some of the, that the viruses in, in the transgenic plants or in our control plant, uh, sorry, in our test plants, which were expressing both the Cas9 and the Gaia RNA, um, these viruses did show mutations at the target site. So the, these viruses looked like they had been cut by the Cas9 protein and then repaired by the plant's uh, endogenous DNA repair machinery. So they had kind of these missing base pairs or they had additional base pairs, uh, which let us know that these viruses had been cut um, yeah. by the Cas9. Yeah, which is a big deal. I mean, you, I, I'm listening to you. I've looked at the paper, of course, but I'm listening to you describe, you know, the, the sort of the 
exploration that you went through in this project. And um, yeah, did, you know, the question, question arose, did, it, did, did the Cas9 even cut the virus? Well, yes, it did. And uh, you have evidence that it was, but it was. Yeah, prepared. I mean, this was, Go ahead. exactly, this, this was, uh, so there was both a, a kind of positive as well as negative to the fact that we could see these edited viruses. Yeah. Because uh, the hope was that, okay, if we cut the virus's DNA, does the DNA get repaired? Does the DNA get degraded? We don't know. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when we started detecting these these repaired viruses, I think I I, I already had a sense that um, that the results were going, not going to be too positive because the fact that the plant could repair these viruses uh, pretty well um, kind of shows that the the system would not work um, as an immune system. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you? What what gave you a clue? So so the cu- cutting occurred of the virus, yay, but yeah. but repair occurred, boo. And so what 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 was sort of the first clue that made you think, oh maybe maybe this isn't going to work because it, the, the virus is being repaired by the very own plant that it the plant's defense or the plant's own uh, repair mechanism. Right. So. So we already knew that the system wasn't working because our plants showed, you know, very clear symptoms that they were infected by, by a virus. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, but maybe the, we thought that maybe this could be because either the, the protein wasn't expressed, but we checked this and the mm-hmm. protein was expressed. Okay. Um, the Cas9 protein. The Cas9 protein and the, the, the other gene. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. But, the, but this is also something that becomes difficult. So when you sequence these viruses, you're not going to sequence the viruses that were degraded because they're no longer present. So there's no way to to say, you know, what proportion of the viruses were actually degraded. Good point. Because we are only going to be able to sequence either the viruses that were that were left untouched or the viruses yeah. that were cut and then repaired by the by the plants. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So so uh, DNA repair is has taken place. What and 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 so how do you how do you know? And what is the consequence of, of that? Yeah. So, so the next thing we looked at was, uh, you know, so we, we had these DNA sequences and they looked like they were repaired. They've been cut and they've been repaired. So the next idea was to, to try and see, you know, what is the outcome of this repair? You know, mm-hmm. can, does this DNA um, still code for, for a wild protein? Um, what, what type of repair actually happened? So then what we did was we, we tried and we looked at the, um, so we translated these these DNA sequences into protein sequences okay. to try and see because we had targeted actually uh, a DNA portion of the virus which was uh, coding for two viral proteins. So these two viral genes uh, kind of overlap on the virus's geno- uh, genome. So by cutting this segment of the virus, we were hoping to actually um, inhibit the production of uh, two viral proteins at once. Okay. Okay. Um, in one in one cut. In one cut. Exactly. Yeah. And then when I looked at uh, the protein um, sequences, I found that uh, quite a few of these viruses seemed to have the same uh, protein level mutation. So they had uh, the same amino acid from the wild type virus had been replaced with a new amino acid at the same position in a lot of uh, different viruses. Um, so this gave us a clue that, okay, there's something special going on. Here. So, and then so when we replacing looked, certain... Uh, new, genetic letters or nucleotides with others, basically. Well, well, not the nucleotides, but the amino acids coded. Amino more acids. By the, Good point. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, so we found that uh, we had these 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 substitution mutations, which is 
basically what's what we call a mutation where one amino acid is substituted for by another amino acid or basically where the DNA which codes for one amino acid is substituted for by DNA that codes for a second amino acid. Um, And then we found that um, a lot of these viruses had this this same mutation where uh, histidine was was substituted for uh, by another amino acid. And this was occurring at at not a very high frequency, but a high enough frequency for us to to investigate further into this. Um, And then when I looked... um, into this specific uh, mutation into a little more detail, I found that it was caused by a very simple uh, uh, mutation at the DNA level. So there was just an extra um, um, uh, T base, uh, so um, an extra thymine introduced into uh, into the target uh, region of the virus. Right. Side. And so, and, and so, what, there, I know I know the answer to this because I've read the paper. But what is what what was the outcome of that? Uh, these these changes basically associated with the the original cutting by the Cas9 protein. What, what was the outcome? So so this um, so what 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 happened was that we had this population of viruses where we just had a single uh, letter of DNA that was added to their genome, um, and this happened quite close to the to the target site where the Cas9 was supposed to cut the virus's DNA. And then when we took this this sequence and we tried to 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 re-simulate the cutting of Cas9 and a guide RNA on this sequence, we found that the sequence was, was resistant to cleavage by Cas9. So this, yeah. this insertion of a single base uh, stopped the Cas9 from clearing this, uh, this DNA. Yeah, 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 that's really huge. And, and so you, you used a, a phrase in that, um, in that title, looking at the wrong paper, but it's uh, editing resistant strains, I think is the phrase. Yeah, edis- editing resistant uh, Gemini viruses. So Gemini viruses, these, yeah. These, these Gemini, yeah, so these Gemini viruses can no longer further be be cut by our Cas9 system. Yeah, yeah. So the very defense mechanism that you engineered was successful in cutting the virus, but sometimes the plant repaired those cuts, but it did so with with some variation introduced, some mutation introduced. Consequently, those viral strains or strands now are resistant to the the single guide RNA that matched originally but no longer because of this introduced mutation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and what was in, what was more interesting was that uh, you know we had many different uh, transgenic clients that we tested, uh, you know, expressing the same machinery but you know kind of as replicates, mm-hmm. uh, and we found the same mutation happening in a lot of viruses infecting three different lines. So, so this wasn't a result that we found due to chance, but there seemed to be some indication that this virus was being kind of, this mutation was kind of uh, selected for. Yeah. So certainly uh, that your result, and, and, and another result of a paper that you and I um, both uh, commented about over Twitter, uh, but certainly f- focusing on your, your paper, it, it, it really raises a question as to whether this creative approach would generate durable resistance against um, DNA viruses. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's what I've walked away with. What 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 do you think? Yeah, I think that was that was uh, kind of where we 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 concentrated on our in our discussion session, which is, um, you know. Actually, when you have these viruses that are being cut and they're being repaired, you know, let's say nine times out of 10, the repair is still going to result in a non-functional virus. A non-what? 
a non-functional uh, virus okay. genome. So most of them, they're going to be non-functional. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that in our study, we were able to detect the same uh, mutation and yeah. the same virus in, in three different plants at, at a relatively high proportion seems to show that um, it is also possible that using the system could could kind of induce the evolution of, of new stable viruses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this could be a real problem when we think about yeah. uh, you know, biosafety and, and containment uh, and the impact to which, or the, the extent to which uh, we want transgenic plants that can uh, you know, shape the evolution of new viruses. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You d- yes, beautifully, beautifully stated. So, you know, in the first example for, from your first paper that we discussed, the RNAi approach wasn't really, a, there was really no finding of a problem with the RNAi approach to virus resistance. It was simply a matter of, oh, there, make, we've got to make sure that we account for all the, the variability that might be in there, out there in the viral population in agriculture uh, in order for a you know, durable resistance or semi-durable resistance to 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 be achievable. So it, it, it's it's we're just learning how to better employ RNAi against viruses. So I think that was that was an important find, uh, but it doesn't sort of throw it out the window. The what, in in contrast, uh, engineering plants to use CRISPR-Cas9 um, uh, molecular machinery to fight against viruses. Um, geez, we've got to be very careful because we're actually generating novel biotypes in the plants that that have these uh, these uh, nanomachines. Basically, um, is is that is that a accurate summary as well? Yeah, exactly. So you know, with RNAi, uh, you know, we we kind of ch- did change the virus population, but we didn't really create a new virus uh, mm-hmm. type. Whereas with the CRISPR, there there is this risk that you're creating uh, a new, or you, you're kind of uh, uh, redirecting evolution in in some way to create new uh, virus species. And you know, this is something we need to talk about as a community because we need to try and figure out whether this is a risk that's worth taking. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I think the durability question alone is 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 you know going to would would abandon you know cause abandonment of that approach but but sure. we also do need to i agree we, we we need to you know as scientists public scientists be open uh have open discussions about uh you know whether i mean i think you and i i know you enough, well enough through twitter to, to think that i can describe you as similar to me and that is i'm in favor of the wise use of genetic engineering the wise use of genetic engineering and there are many applications that you know i think would fit that bill but uh, this might be one that's not so wise, and we have to really be careful that we've studied the uh, the risks that you've identified in in your paper. Yeah, I think I think our paper just calls for for more study on this um, on this aspect of, mm-hmm. of of this technology. Okay, good. Uh, Certainly a good good call for it. Um, so, is there anything else you you would like our listeners to know? Um, so we are, um, you know, so. I think we don't want to kind of say that, you know, using CRISPR for virus resistance is, is, is never going to be possible because, okay. you know, we, we do need to study. Maybe, so in our study, we used a, a single guide RNA, so a single cut on the genome. And maybe using multiple guide RNAs so c- causing more cuts in the genome could, um, could stop um, this, this process of uh, evolution of new viruses enough. Um, there's other possibilities. So we could try and engineer um, 
the CRISPR system to be adaptive to new viruses, uh, like it is in bacteria. Um, but there are lots of new things that we could still try um, with this technology, but it does need to be done a little more carefully. Right. Okay. So I'll yes, waving a waving a sort of a yellow flag on, um, and so not a red flag, but a yellow flag just to raise the need, the concern, and the need for more research. And and I guess I'll add to that, Devang, um, that that we we are talking about CRISPR-Cas9 against DNA viruses. Um, but but listeners should be very clear: we're not talking about all CRISPR-Cas9 applications, because, for example, oh, yeah. you may use CRISPR-Cas9 to transfer a resistance gene, an R gene, from plant A into plant B, exactly. and and you know and and that is entirely entirely as distinct as it could possibly be from the CRISPR-Cas9 defense mechanism against. DNA viruses that you, you you've studied and described. So I know you understand that the, the, this, but uh, but I want to make no, sure all our, our listeners understand we're not talking about all CRISPR Cas9 applications. There are many that w- wouldn't even be under this umbrella of, of possibilities. So you yeah, want to add? I mean, yeah, this is I mean this is a very narrow uh, uh, application of CRISPR Cas9 where you know you really need the Cas9 protein to be express in the plants that you leave in the field. Right. Um, but even our lab is also working on, on ways in which to, to try and use CRISPR-Cas9 to, to change resistance genes and to change other genes in, in cassava. Um, and these are not applications that, that would um, result in this kind of uh, uh, an outcome. So they're completely safe uh, uh, in terms of... Uh, in, in this aspect, at least. Right. In terms of generating new biotypes of uh, the pathogen, they, they just it doesn't even apply in the case of what you're, what you're describing and what I'm talking about as well. These many yeah, other applications. Sure. Right. Yeah. So that's an important distinction. I'm glad we uh, were able to. So we, we talked about two methods to, to engineer resistance to, to these viruses, but um, um, our lab is also working on, on ways in which to, to, to use natural resistance sources. So there is a source of natural resistance to cassava mosaic viruses. And yeah, we are recently, well, we are trying to, to try and identify which gene is, is, is involved in this. And, and possibly we might even use CRISPR to, to try and engineer this resistance into the cassava genome later on. So, so the natural source, is it, a, I mean, maybe it's something you're not in a position to talk about, but is it a, is it a genetic uh, issue? issue i guess or uh, or you may- yeah it's it's a single genetic locus and a colleague of mine is is working on this for his phd okay. to try and identify which specific uh, genetic mutation confers resistance to to these viruses because a lot of the time viruses need to use uh, plant proteins to replicate mm-hmm. and yes. uh, maybe you have a cassava plant which produces a, a certain variant of a protein which the virus cannot use and then that means that the virus is uh, no longer able to replicate it. Right, right. Good, good point. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have uh, your your colleague uh, on the program when uh, you know when that work is is you know at that point where he or she is ready to talk about it. So sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a pleasure to interview you, Devang, and uh, interview you, uh, Devang, and and uh, so. Um, yeah, thanks for taking the time to explain your work, and thanks for publishing it uh, on a preprint server so we could all uh, see it. Appreciate appreciate your efforts. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen, as your support allows us to deliver more 
about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Pincelli, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.